This is the Easy Living Yards podcast. I'm your well-rooted host, Ben Hale. Let's jump in and learn how to have a healthy, beautiful yard with less work so you can enjoy more time doing what you love. What's up and welcome to episode 29 of the Easy Living Yards podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the best trees for your landscape. This is the 2018 edition of the best trees, so I figure maybe each year we can we can go through talking about uh, my favorite trees for the landscape without you know making like a 100 tree long list. I want to just give you a couple of my favorite trees for most of the United States that work well and uh, the reasons why I love these and the reasons why they're great to try in your landscape as well. So let's just jump right in today. I don't really have a whole lot to begin with. So uh, the only thing I want to talk about is if you love this show and if you are having uh, fun with this show or getting value out of it, what could really be a huge help for me is is leaving a review on iTunes. So if you haven't done so already, I suggest you go over to iTunes and leave a review, and that would be hugely helpful in helping other people find this show as well. So uh, that's how kind of the iTunes search rankings work, is is the more reviews you have and the more downloads you have, the more uh, you pop up in other people's feeds. So anyway, if you haven't done so already, that would be a huge help to me and a huge way to say thank you for doing this show. And um, I hope you are getting a lot of value out of this show and a lot of enjoyment as well. So uh, that's just one way you could go and say thank you. So, all right, let's jump right in then. Okay, so my favorite trees for landscapes across the United States um, here in 2018. Of course, you know, things are going to change majorly each year, but I just have to restrict this list, of course, so I don't drivel on for like 10 hours on just talking about different trees. And so for for this list today, I've picked a few of my favorites, uh, a few of the most robust trees that, that just really, to me, speak North America. And that's what I love about trees is, is they, they really have this kind of character and essence that really speaks to our region. And, um, and same for globally. You know, a lot of these trees actually that I'm talking about today, they do have... Um, globally uh related species or uh, that are close related or even um subspecies so just something to think about if you're listening to this uh if you're some of my folks across the pond uh that are listening to this um you know that's another thing aside here is is i've seen uh where the downloads are coming from and it's super exciting to see some of the the global people that are listening to this so if you're listening to this outside of the united states a huge thank you to you guys as well i hope you're also finding enjoyment and value in this show and um you know a lot of what i talk about here is is stuff that is uh location independent so i hope you find value in that that stuff okay so first tree the red maple i love red maples we have one in our front yard uh and so for each of these what i'm going to do is also give you the species the latin name so you can and that's not just to be a nerd i am a nerd but um just so you can go and identify the tree as well because a lot of common names for plants have crossover there's various common names for the same plant and likewise there's there's various different plants that use the same common name so this is just to give you some specificity if you're going to look for this plant specifically so for for the red maple the latin name is acer rubrum which just uh is latin for uh, red. I don't know what acer means actually, but rubrum is just red in in Latin. So R U B R U M. So the red maple. The reason I sp- I picked the red maple specifically is for both of its structure, its hardiness, and its uh, appearance. So the red maple is a large tree. So make sure for these large trees that I'm talking about today that you plant them where they have plenty of space to grow. So in our front yard, this this red maple that I planted a few years ago is spaced about 35 feet away from our foundation and any um, any structure as well. So it's it's kind of out in an open space where it can fill in that space and grow big and tall like it's meant to do. Um, so 
red maples grow 40 to 60 feet tall and 30 to 50 feet wide. And this is based on your your local area you plant it as well as the the type of red maple you get. So there's a lot of various cultivars that you can get. So I, I, two of that pop in mind that I see a lot in nurseries are October Glory and um, Autumn. I, I think it's October Glory and Autumn Red, or I may have those switched. But anyway, um, uh, they're they're just. The reason they're called that is actually the next piece is that they're beautiful fall color. So you get this bright fall color that's uh, shades of red, orange, or yellow, depending upon the variety you have, as well as the seasonal variations you have from year to year. So some years you might get a deeper red color. Some years you might get a bright orange or yellow color out of these trees. And there are certainly selections of different cultivars that that kind of enhance the color one way or the other. So, so I, we actually have a, a one red maple on our landscape that gets this kind of deep orangey red color and it's very beautiful. And then we have another red maple that gets this very deep maroon red color in the fall as well. So there's a lot of variation. Um, this tree prefers full sun to part shade and it prefers medium to wet soils. So it's not super drought tolerant. Um, and likewise, it, most of these trees I'm talking about, they don't prefer to be waterlogged at the same time. But this is one where it can tolerate uh, some of the wetter conditions out there. So if you have some kind of lowland areas, uh, the red maple can tolerate a lot of that. Um, the red maple is able to be grown in USDA zones 3 to 9. So that's most of the United States. Uh, zone 3 is pretty cold. Zone 9 is pretty hot. Um, so it spans north to south pretty well. And uh, as far as structure, the red maple um, is has a very majestic form. So it's, it grows big with these large arching branches. Um, it's a little bit on the softer side of hardwoods, but the reason I've chosen the red maple over some other maple trees is because it is a, a, a better structured tree compared to some other maples. Um, and, and one of the... Um, other conditions about it is it has these early spring flower buds that are this deep red uh, kind of maroon color um, in very, very early spring slash late winter. And so it's one of the first signs of of uh, life waking up in the winter that I look for. And so you get these, I mean, they're not very uh, prominent, but you get these little red clusters that start popping out all across the outside of the tree and so it's one of the first signs of spring kind of the one of the first heralds of spring i guess and so i always look forward to that every winter uh, when the buds start popping on the maples okay uh now like a lot of these trees this maple the red maple tolerates a wide range of conditions and one of my favorite things about it actually uh is it it produces these little things called, we always called them helicopters growing up. Uh, and so it's a, it's a favorite tree for kids because it drops all these little seeds that twirl around as they come to the ground. And so you can collect them, you can throw them up and watch them twirl down. And so because of the way they spun around, we called them helicopters. Um, now, I learned something new in researching for this episode that the technical term for the, these helicopters is called, I don't know if the, I'm pronouncing this right, but a, a Samara or Samara, S-A-M-A-R-A. And uh, some of the other synonyms I found for it, according to the all-powerful Wikipedia, is a key, a wing nut, wing nut a helicopter, uh, so of course, apparently we are. The term we used was uh, was eligible enough to get into Wikipedia. Um, a whirly bird, a whirly gig, a poly nose, and a spinning Jenny. So you choose your favorite name. I might have to switch to spinning Jennies now, as opposed to helicopters. It sounds a bit more fun. Um, but yeah, you can choose your turn for it. But either way, these little seeds that kind of flutter off the tree everywhere when the wind blows, um, they're just a favorite for kids to play with and to have fun with. And, and I certainly had fun with them as a kid, and I still do. Um, so, uh, yeah, so just kind of a little interesting perk about these red maples and maples in general. And, and it's this isn't limited to maples, but it was something with, uh, we had this giant sugar maple in the back of our yard growing up, and um, and uh, it, it had all sorts of these little helicopter spinning jennies coming off of them. Now, as far as watch outs for the red maple, uh, 
you you can have issues with surface roots near sidewalks especially um so they can actually buckle sidewalks there's a lot of trees that have this uh potential especially your larger trees so uh, certainly for red maples they have a tendency to run more uh, roots toward the surface as opposed to subsurface and so um, you you do have to watch out for that now that said um, the red maple is better at not shooting up big surface roots compared to some of the other maple trees like like um, silver maples are, are notorious for running uh surface roots that actually come above the soil surface and so red maples can do that as well but not as bad as some of the other maple trees so something you have to watch out for if if you're not too inclined to have that on your property or you plant it too closely to something like a sidewalk or a driveway where it could buckle the concrete um, you want to make sure you avoid that and likewise you don't want to plant this tree too close to a foundation so you basically want to plan for the the size of the canopy and maybe even a little bit more with um, some of these surface root type type trees. Um, So you don't want to plant closely to a foundation where it's going to uh, disturb the foundation. Um, The other watch out is if you're not planning for it, this tree grows large. So you just got to plan for growth. Um, So while it may look pretty for the first five to 10 years um, in a certain space, if you plant it in a pretty tight space or a very small property, it may outgrow that property or that space within a few years. So just something to uh, consider that these trees, again, grow upwards of 40 to 60 foot tall, and I would wager even taller actually, um, and 30 to 50 feet wide as well. So you want to plan for that, that full size, which it eventually reaches. Okay, so Enough about the red maple. Let's move on to another large majestic tree. And that is the white oak. So the white oak tree, which has a Latin name of Quercus alba, that's Q-U-E-R-C-U-S-A-L-B-A. And I have information on all of these trees in the show notes. So if you guys didn't know, for every single show, I have some show notes. It's a, an outline of the show, so you can check it out. Uh, make sure it's worth a listen to you, for one. I, I value your time, <laughs> even if it takes away from uh, listening to each show. And, you know, I want to make sure you get the most out of each show. So, so I want you to also feel comfortable. You can always check out the show notes uh, for each show, and that's available Uh, in the it should be available in the podcast app that you're listening to as well as if it's not there uh, you can always visit the episode webpage. and the quickest way to do that is to type in ely for easy living yards dot how h-o-w and then slash episode whatever the episode number is so for this episode it's episode two nine you would type into Um, now you can also always go to easylivingyards.com if you want to type out the full url but for any web page that's available on easylivingyards.com you can just type in the short url which is ely.how slash whatever and that'll take you there as well and of course there's also always links in the show notes um, to anything i link to okay so with that said the white oak tree is uh, an even larger majestic tree and i just love the beauty the elegance and the structure that oak trees bring to a landscape um, and the grandeur as well so a, a just a mature oak is such a beautiful symbol of to me of the just the majestic form of nature and so it kind of gets a little poetic for me actually when i see just a large beautiful oak tree so i love driving through old neighborhoods where you see these giant oak trees just towering everywhere and just providing such beautiful accents to landscapes and um, and even to the point where they define the landscape just by themselves. Okay, so what's so cool about the white oak? Why the white oak? Well, there's a few reasons I've chosen it. And um, to be honest, this is largely based on my personal preference. First of all, I had to make a choice, right? So I love oaks. Um, the white oak is native to a broad range of the United States, and it's also a beautiful landscape tree. Now, that said, this is a, a large tree, just like the maple, and even more so. So it grows to a, a total height of 50 to 80 feet tall, and I would wager even up to 100 feet. Um, and it grows up to 50 to 80 feet wide. So it's it's more of a, it usually has a little bit more height than girth, um, and it has these um, beautifully lobed leaves 
that's what I like about the white oak is it has these these rounded lobes to the leaves. It's just a beautiful shape um, to the leaves as well as to the tree itself. And likewise, they're, they're acorns. They drop every couple years, and they're just these larger acorns. They're really pretty. Um, of course, if you don't like acorns, they can make a bit of a mess, but I actually kind of enjoy them. And the other thing is that the the white oak has a lower tannin content compared to something like a red oak tree. Um, and so the tannins, the tannic acids um, that are present in the acorns, and I believe also the leaves, I, I didn't fully research this uh, part, but um, the tannins can actually uh, leach into your soil and, and kind of cause some disruption too. So that's kind of a side advantage. That's not the true reason why I like the white oak, but it's just kind of something to point out. Now, the white oak it grows in USDA zones 3 to 9, just like the maple. It prefers full sun, but it can also grow in part shade. And um, it prefers dry to medium soil. So if you're in a drier location compared to your maples, this is something that can grow in that condition. So dry to average soils um, as far as moisture goes. Um, and underneath a mature oak, you, you actually get this very nice deep shade. And so... Some people to the point where some people can even struggle growing grass underneath it sometimes. So it's something to consider as a watch out. But I also really enjoy oaks just because of the shade they cast on a, a hot summer day. You can really tell a difference when you're underneath an oak tree compared to just out in the sun. Now, um, the other side benefit to the the oaks in general, but also the white oak, is is that oaks are an amazing host plant for a wide variety of insects and critters and birds so they're always chattering with activity there's a ton of insects that rely on oaks for various parts of their life cycle and for that reason alone i really enjoy it because it's actually a plant that benefits not only us and the 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 enjoyment we get out of it but also all those other creatures around us too so that's really cool thing about oaks now some watch outs when it comes to oak trees it can be susceptible to some diseases, especially when young. So um, it's something to make sure you you have it put in the right location uh, with the right conditions and you plant it as well as possible and get it as healthy as, as, as best you can so it can establish well and grow into a large healthy tree. Um, it also has, a lot of people don't like oaks because they have a slower growth habit. So basically the the return on your investment, I guess, if you want to call it that, of planting this tree is that it takes a lot of time before you start to really enjoy that majestic stature. And, and to be honest, it might be something that the, you know, isn't enjoyed for 20, maybe 30 years before it reaches that stage. Now, in the meantime, it's still a beautiful tree and, and it's just very enjoyable just to watch it slowly grow to reach that stage. Um, the last watch out, of course, just like the maple, is this tree grows very large. Now, oaks do not have the tendency towards surface roots as bad as maples do. And so you, you can get away with planting it closer to things such as sidewalks and driveways. I would steer you away from planting it closely to foundations, though, because foundations go down, you know, much deeper in the soil profile. And so a lot of trees that grow large should not be planted close to foundations for the potential issues that they may cause. And, and that's both through root pressure onto foundations as well as just the water pressure differences when there's a tree planted close to a foundation. So so when there's a tree planted close to a foundation, those roots will suck up a lot of that water, that moisture that might be present in other areas pressing against the foundation. And that difference in pressure across your foundation can actually cause uh, buckling and shifting and can be very... Um, very bad for your foundation. So in general, just avoid putting these large trees close to your foundations. Okay. Now with that said, I really enjoy oak trees. Uh, I think they're beautiful and this is definitely something you plan long-term for. Oak trees grow a little bit slower than maples. Maples grow kind of like a medium growth habit. So, um, you see those being a lot more popular across landscapes, but certainly consider oaks as well. Okay, let's move on to a little bit of a different type of tree here. And this is the thorny honey locust. 
So the thorn, not thorny, uh, don't, don't get your thorny honey locusts, get the thornless honey locusts. <laughs> okay. Just to clarify again, the thornless honey locusts. Now I'm going to attempt the Latin for this one. It's Gladitia triacanthos. And the, the variety you want to get is variety enormous. So I'm not going to spell all that out. Check out the show notes. But the reason you want this variety is that's the thornless variety. Now, I don't know if you've ever been taking a stroll through the woods or kind of walking along, you know, a naturalized area and you see this tree with all these massive thorns on them, like these gnarly looking thorns. Well, odds are that's either a honey locust or a black locust tree. Now, the honey locust uh, can, so they get these really, I think they're really cool looking, but of course, you don't want a tree with these giant, giant, massive thorns in your landscape. So, what uh, plant breeders have done over the past uh, century or so is they have um, bred the honey locust to not have these thorns. And, And generally speaking, I actually prefer the natural more natural trees, the non-cultivated varieties, or at least lightly cultivated varieties of plants. But in this case, if you want it in your landscape, I understand you probably don't want these giant thorns. I mean, these are things where if you step on them, it could go right through your foot. Uh, They're giant, like six inch thorns. They're really nasty looking and um, they're incredibly sharp as well. So, um, so you want to get the enormous form and the the thornless honey locust is actually a really popular uh, landscape tree in commercial areas and also public areas. So, and for good reason. So this tree, um, just to give you a few um, defining characteristics, the thorny, thorny <laughs> I keep saying thorny. I really mean just anytime I say thorny, think thornless. Okay, so the thornless honey locust uh, grows about 40 to 80 feet tall when it's mature and 40 to 80 feet wide. And the reason it's such a broad range is it highly de- is highly dependent on the variety of honey locust tree you purchase. So if you purchase a cultivated variety, you want to check out what's what its mature size is and um, get the right one for your space. Now, the thornless honey locust grows in USDA zones 3 to 8, so that's still most of the United States. It doesn't tolerate the really, really hot parts of the United States. Um, so that's something if you're down south um, in the hot areas, uh, you might want to look for something else. Now, um, some of the other characteristics is the thornless honey locust generally prefers full sun. Now, all that said with these three trees I listed so far, now the white oak does prefer like more savanna type ecosystems is where it comes from, where you have patchy grass and uh, wooded areas. Now, that said too, I've seen plenty of white oak trees growing in the middle of the forest, so they can tolerate deep shade as well. And so that's just something if you have deep shaded areas that you're considering, don't necessarily rule out any of these trees I've listed. So I've seen honey locusts growing in the forest. I've seen maple trees, tons of red maples growing in the middle of the woods, as well as white oak trees. So you can certainly plant these in those shaded conditions. They will be a bit more spindly, a bit less full uh, in their younger ages, but as they grow, they will definitely um, fill out and and just reach uh, a beautiful size. It just might stunt their growth somewhat. Okay, so back on to the thornless honey locust. So it does prefer full sun, but it can tolerate uh, a wide range of sunlight conditions. Uh, It does well in all the way from moist soils to dry soils. So this tolerates a wide range of moisture. Um, And the cool thing about this tree is it can grow in depleted soils as well. So part of why it does that, a little biology lesson for you, is that this is a a legume tree. So kind of like your peas um, and your beans, uh, the thornless honey locust actually fixes its own nitrogen. So it takes nitrogen from the air and it kind of pumps it down. This is, you know, a very generalized version. It's it's mostly actually it's bacteria doing the work that lives on their roots. And so the bacteria are taking nitrogen from the air and it, it turns it into a, a soluble bioavailable form of nitrogen that the plant can use uh, for its growth in, in making proteins for its cells. And so that's really cool stuff, actually, how um, some of these biochemical processes work. But that's actually a pretty rare form in the plant 
world is to fix its own nitrogen. So there's a certain um, groups of of plants that have these symbiotic relationships with bacteria, and this is one of them. So uh, that's really cool because it, it's able to kind of provide its own nutrient source uh, where other plants may not have that capability. Okay, so enough on fixing nitrogen for now, and let's learn about other parts of it. So it, compared to like the oak and the maple that casts a bit deeper shade, the thornless honey locust actually casts a very dappled kind of light canopy shade so it's also a very enjoyable shade too when you don't want like this full deep shade condition it's a really nice tree just to kind of give you a little bit of shade but also kind of let a little bit of light percolate through it's also good for plants that prefer that partial shade condition you can allow more plants to grow underneath its canopy as well so it's something to consider there if you're considering it for say a garden area the thornless honey locust has this kind of open form, so it's kind of like a wide branching structure with these uh, really small leaflets. So it's like a short stem with a bunch of little leaves uh, sticking off of it, and these little leaflets are kind of what provide that loose dappled shade along with the branching structure. And um, in the fall, you get this beautiful yellow color. Um, off of these trees. It's kind of like a golden yellow um, that kind of fills the sky first, I guess. But also, as these leaves drop, they they kind of make these little yellow drops of color across your landscape. When other things are starting to turn brown and you still have lots of green as well, but you're getting some changes in color that this gold really just accents your the floor of your garden or the floor of your lawn uh, in a really wonderful way. Now, like I mentioned earlier, this is actually a popular um, tree in a lot of public areas as well as commercial areas. And it's also used in cities as a sidewalk tree. And so you see those like trees that grow in the city where there's like, you know, a two by two foot square of like soil, I guess you could call it soil or dirt. And, and then everything else is concrete. And you wonder, how the heck do these giant trees grow there? Well, this is one of those trees, which to me is just super cool. It's a great testament. If, if When I see trees growing in those conditions, I always pay attention to what types of tree those are, trees those are because they're incredibly hardy trees. And they withstand a ton of abuse from whether it be pet urine, salt from winter salting, and just lack of water, lack of... Uh, earth to grow in and and yet somehow these trees survive well this is one of those trees the honey locust i i've seen them all across chicago i remember seeing these giant massive honey locust trees growing in chicago and um, so that's a great testament to how durable these trees are um, some varieties have a smaller mature size, like I mentioned earlier, so it's something to consider. You want to really make sure you're getting a certain tree for a certain size that you would want. And on to some watchouts. Now, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you get the straight species of this tree, it has these massive thorns. And what I didn't mention is it also produces a lot of seed pods. Because it's in the legume family, it produces these long bean pods of seeds. Um, and if you don't like that, it's something to watch out for. Some of the cultivated varieties still have seed pods as well. Um, and so you want to check out which tree you're getting and how many of these seed pods you might have to deal with and whether or not that's okay for you. Okay, now the thornless honey locust is susceptible to some diseases, but overall it's a relatively low maintenance tree. Like I mentioned, it, it tolerates tons of neglect in in urban conditions, and these trees do just great. So um, while it does have some disease issues here and there, um, overall this is a really hardy tree. All right, moving on. I, I guess onward and downward because this is a smaller tree i'm sure some of you are out there wondering okay these trees are all great but even the honey locust you know that's a big tree right what about something smaller okay well if you're looking for some smaller trees um this is one of them and that's the red bud so i love red bud trees um the latin name is circus canadensis is the tree I'm specifically talking about. That's the eastern redbud. Um, there's also a, a western variety out there. It's a different species name. Um, but if you live on the other side of the Rockies, consider 
uh, not getting the eastern redbud, but the I, I can't remember if it's called the western redbud or something else. But but search for circus c e r c i s, and um, it should pop up as as one of the options for redbuds. Okay, so the redbud tree um, is a tree that only grows twenty to thirty feet tall uh, max. And uh, about 25 to 35 feet wide. So it kind of has this wide umbrella shape that it gets. And this is a tree that comes from our edge habitats. So it generally grows along woodland edges. And um, and so, of course, it doesn't reach this massive canopy size. And, and instead, it's trying to take up as much available light as it can by spreading horizontally as opposed to vertically. So that's kind of how you get this shape of this tree. Now it grows in USDA zones four to eight. So it's a somewhat more limited um, uh, range of conditions, but it's still widely uh, capable across most of the United States. Um, It enjoys both full sun to part shade, and I would even wager um, medium to heavy shade. Um, Of course, it needs some light, but... um, this tree does pretty well. My parents have had a little tiny red bud that's grown underneath these two massive oak trees um, in our uh, our backyard growing up, and it did just fine there. Now, it grew slowly, so when you have it in those fuller shade conditions, it does grow pretty slowly, but it still does just fine. And um, these trees are just beautiful. They have these big heart-shaped leaves that provide a nice texture uh, to your plantings and of course your vertical structure but in a really interesting way where it has again these kind of like spreading arching branches outward that gives you this kind of umbrella loose umbrella form and the the greatest thing about the red bud that gives it its name (laughs) I guess somebody was a little colorblind but it's these beautiful like purplish light purple almost reddish uh, buds in the springtime and they're just beautiful they kind of line the tree and it doesn't happen until the tree is a bit more mature but once this tree starts to mature it's just these beautiful uh, splash of color in the springtime that signifies again the the warming weather and the coming of spring and uh, they're just a lot of fun so so based on the structure as well as that spring color that splash of spring color is part of why i love the red bud now, redbud trees, as far as where it grows, it does prefer average moisture. It can tolerate some drought conditions and some moist conditions, but, but not the extreme on either end. So it's something to just consider for where you're planting it. Um, arguably, this tree may or may not fix nitrogen, very similarly to the honey locust. Um, either way, it does pretty well in providing its own fertility um, and just taking care of of poor fertility conditions um and and as far as color i forgot to mention too that uh you get a beautiful yellow fall color on this tree as well so it's not as bold as like your red maple as far as you know being a autumn color tree but you still get some wonderful color coming out of it so if you're looking for a great medium-sized tree that um, does pretty well in sunny conditions as well as some partial shade conditions and kind of average moisture, uh, this is probably a tree that you want to consider. Now, the primary watch out for this tree is that it doesn't transplant well. So you want to get this tree as young as possible at the nursery. So don't get those big specimens because they actually probably will struggle in your landscape. And so instead, it's better to start young with these trees, get them in the soil as quickly as possible with as little disturbance to their roots as possible. And, and if you do that successfully, you'll have a nice tree. Okay. Now, let's go big again, okay? So next tree is the sycamore. So I love sycamore trees. Um, I love all these trees, don't I? Let's face it. So I'm having a hard time saying uh, that I don't love one of these trees for sure um, because they're just beautiful trees each in their own right. Now the sycamore is a little different uh, beast from the other trees. So we already talked about two really big trees, which is the red maple and the... Uh, white oak. So this one has um, some similar characteristics, but also some unique ones as well. And so that's why it's in here as well. So the sycamore can grow 75 to 100 foot tall, uh, pretty commonly reaches that stage. So this is a very big tree when it's mature. 
and it also has similar width so 75 to 100 foot wide so this is a huge tree so you want to make sure this is only for your bigger properties or where you have plenty of space for this tree to grow and it while it does take a long time for this tree to get there um, you want to make sure you're planting it where you're not just going to have to cut down such a beautiful tree uh, you know 20 or 30 years out Sycamores grow in USDA zones 4 to 9. So again, this is most of the United States. It's a little bit of a southward shift from uh, some of the previous trees that can tolerate some of those colder conditions. So make sure this grows in your area. Um, it does well in full sun to partial shade. And again, this is one that I've seen in plenty of deep wood conditions um, with one caveat. And that is that the sycamore prefers moist to average soils. So when, you, when I see this tree growing in the woods, it's not on the ridge tops. It, that's your oaks. So the sycamore grows in your valley bottoms, in your um, ravines, your your just those lowland areas where it has a lot more moisture and it prefers that moisture area. So it's common along streams and river bottoms. And um, that said, it's some of those areas can still be pretty shady for those young trees and it can tolerate that shade condition as a young tree and kind of grow on through it basically. Now as far as fall color goes, there's not a lot of spectacular show with uh, sycamores. Sometimes you get like a brownish color Sometimes you do get like a really nice yellowish color. Um, so it can still be a fun tree for the fall. Um, and what I really like is through late fall and early winter, um, there's a lot of these round seed pods that hang off of the tree and, and kind of get, they almost look like a bunch of ornaments hanging off the tree. Um, it doesn't hold them necessarily always through the whole winter, but you get this kind of really cool seed pod uh, hanging effect. And if you don't like, you know, these seed pods dropping, you may not like this tree so much where they, they do kind of like as they drop, they kind of disintegrate somewhat and you get a lot of these little fluffy powdery things everywhere. But um, really they don't make that much of a mess. I, I might be overblowing it, but it's something if you really don't like clutter um, from trees, this may be one that you're not a huge fan of. Um, and so on to what my, one of my favorite things about sycamores are and very distinct characteristics is their bark so as a sycamore tree matures um, some of the under under layers of bark uh, are exposed and you get this beautiful mottled white and gray and brown trunk and so this white trunk is is you can pick it out from hundreds of yards away uh, in the uh, in the winter and late fall as the leaves drop you'll see these beautiful majestic white and gray trunks sticking out in the forest and so it actually provides a beautiful winter accent um, and it's just a lot of fun I think to see these trees especially in their majestic form kind of highlighted by the beautiful color of their bark okay now, as far as watchouts go, uh, you might want to watch out for um, various diseases and insects. But again, overall, this is a pretty hardy tree. Um, if it's not the happiest tree, so if it's not in the, quite the right condition, it might be more susceptible to some of these diseases. Um, and also, again, just to, to reiterate, this tree grows very large, so make sure you plant it in a space where it can grow. Okay. Now, <laughs> I know we already have a lot of trees, and as I've said before, I love trees. So I still have two more trees to cover, and then we're going to wrap up. We're going to be done, so we're not here for hours and hours, because while I know you guys would love to sit here for hours and listen, I have to get moving. So um, we're going to wrap up after these next two trees. So my next favorite, going way back down to the understory, is the service berry. Now the service berry is a recent favorite of mine. I've only, I actually have only known about this tree for maybe like the past five, maybe ten years, and I've kind of fallen in love with it. Now the service berry, its Latin name is Amelanchier canadensis, and check out the show notes if you want to see that spelling. Um, it grows at max 25 to 30 feet tall and 15 to 20 feet wide. So this is kind of like on the border of a shrub in a tree. So you'll, some of these varieties you'll see is like a single single stemmed or trunked form. Others are multi-stem or multi-trunk forms. So um, 
there's a ton of cultivars out there of this tree. It is now becoming a much more popular landscape um, ornamental tree. And um, on top of it, you have these awesome edible berries that you get off this tree as well. And that's part of why I love it. So the service berry, um, at least this species, grows in USDA zones 4 to 8. There are a lot of similar related species that either are shrubs or small trees that spread across most of the United States. And so you can check out for your region if there's other, um, other species available. Now that said, the... This service berry, Amelanchier canadensis, is native to most of the eastern U.S. Um, it does enjoy full sun to part shade. Again, it can grow under some shady conditions as well, but you don't want full shade for sure with this guy. It tolerates a wide variety of soil types as well as soil moisture. Um, and on to some of the aesthetics of it. Okay, so it has these beautiful white spring blooms. Uh, around a similar time you get your red buds blooming, you'll get these beautiful white blooms on your service berries. Um, I actually really enjoy just the leaves as well. So during the summer you get these really nice rounded leaves um, that just kind of dot all across this tree. Um, especially with these multi-stemmed trees, it's just a beautiful design um, accent, I think, because it has this this kind of spindly sticky form that's filled in with these little tiny leaf leaves everywhere um so i just love how it looks um now in the late spring and early summer you also get this beautiful show of berries so they start out green they turn red uh kind of like mid to late may and then by early june they're turning into like a deep purple color and that's when they become ripe um, you'll see birds coming in all over trying to get these berries because they're delicious and if you can beat the birds definitely try it out because this tree is awesome now make sure you're not doing this on just a random landscape because the tree may have may or may not have been sprayed and you won't know about it and so it can have some health issues if and for also if you don't know exactly what tree you're eating berries from um, you got to make sure you know what you're eating when it, you're kind of wild harvesting stuff and also how the 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 plant has been taken care of so that can be a huge risk all right now that all said, um, you get these beautiful berries. Following up in the fall, you get this beautiful orange-yellow color. And it's just, uh, I love it. All right, so uh, enough about the beauty of the service berry. Some washouts, well, there really aren't any major watchouts with service berries. Uh, the only major watchout, I would say, is it, it does struggle in, in dense clay with very little topsoil. Um, I know this from personal experience. And it also doesn't tolerate a large amount of deer browsing. I also know this from personal experience. So um, make sure if you have young saplings that they do have an appropriate planting area so it's not just d dense heavy clay with no topsoil at all. And also make sure it's protected from deer browsing. Okay, um, now once it can get past that stage, it, it seems to do pretty well. All right, so let's move on to our last tree. And I mentioned this tree just a few episodes ago, and uh, it's worth repeating. It bears repeating. So you may notice that I have not mentioned any evergreen trees yet. So we've talked about some understory trees like the service berry, the red bud that kind of grow just above that shrub range where you get like a medium-sized tree. We've also talked about some massive trees uh, with our white oak, our red oak, and uh, the sycamore. And they're also like a medium range tree with the honey locust. Okay, so those are all deciduous trees. They drop their leaves in the colder months. So let's talk about an evergreen. So without further ado, the red cedar is Juniperus virginiana. And the eastern red cedar is a, a just a beautiful um, medium-sized evergreen tree that grows across much of the United States and there is, um, yeah, it's just a great tree. Okay, so let's talk about the details. So the red cedar grows anywhere from 30 to 65 feet tall. So when I say a medium-sized tree, it can still get pretty big um, and also up to 10 to 25 feet wide. So this is more of like a columnar structure tree. And based on the variety you get and the type of tree you get and also the type of area you're planting it in, planting it in will dictate um, what type of growth you have. So you definitely want to check out like what type of 
tree you're getting uh, as far as a red cedar tree and what its um, primary growth characteristics are. Because there are a lot of different named cultivars out there that have a lot of variety in the structure and the overall size that these uh, guys get. So some of them are like um, cultivars that are more of like a shrub type. And some are more like a tree. So check out what you're getting. Okay, now with that said, uh, these guys grow uh, anywhere from zones 2 to 9. So that's pretty much almost all of the United States. Um, they're evergreen, so they have these little tiny... They're not like needles like you would think about on a pine tree, but it's kind of like a spindly, uh, spiky leaf type things. I don't know. Spiky twigs, I guess. is. I think that's the technical term, actually. So they get these spiky twigs instead of needles. And um, uh, yeah, that's all I'm saying about that. Okay. Uh, they grow in full sun to part shade. I've seen them growing in, again in the middle of the woods, uh, and they seem to do okay there. They they The areas I notice them in are kind of like drier, um, a little bit more open areas. Um, and I would assume slightly acidic soils. I don't really know um, as far as where I've seen them growing in the woods. But um, whenever I see them growing in the woods, they do have a slightly more open habit. So um, they're not as dense. You can you can kind of see the middle of the trees so of the trunk. So if you want something where it's a, a very dense form, you don't want it growing in uh, medium shade for sure. But if you're okay with that, um, a slightly more open form um, that's not so densely filled, uh, you can definitely consider growing this in somewhat like a medium shade. Okay. Um, it does uh, okay in all the way from dry soils all the way to moist soils. So you'll you'll see this in a wide range of conditions as far as soil moisture. Um, and it it also tolerates very poor soils, so much so that I've seen it growing on like rocky cliffs before where it's like you're wondering like where is this thing like how does it get so big because it's just like these gnarly roots like wrapping around these rocks it's really cool stuff actually um and um and you're like how does this tree grow here well um eastern red cedar can do that so these are like colonizer trees they're they're highly tolerant of poor conditions of a wide variety of conditions and for that I also love them as landscape trees as well because we also have a wide variety of conditions and sometimes very poor conditions that we're trying to grow in. Okay, some watchouts. Well, there's no major issues, but um, the one thing I want to point out is that different cultivars, like I said, have different growth habits. So make sure you understand what type of tree you're getting um, so your expectations match up with what the, the plant is capable of doing. Okay, guys, that is pretty much a wrap. So again, just to recap, my favorite trees for 2018 are the red maple, the white oak, the thornless honey locust, not the thorny honey locust, uh, the red bud, the sycamore, the service berry, and the red cedar. Now, these this combination of trees will give you some beautiful landscape trees, um, both in color, in structure, and form, um, just to to really fill out your landscape. So I'd certainly recommend you consider these trees. Um, now the other bonus is that these are all native trees, uh, and and that was slightly deliberate on my part because I do enjoy um, selecting natives first. So that's native to the United States. And for me, the Eastern United States. So if you're out there in California or Washington, I saw a lot of you guys listen from Washington. So shout out to you guys. That is awesome. Um, some of these trees actually grow out there too. So you can check out plants.usda.gov. I'll try and remember to leave a link in the show notes, but that shows you the native range of all of these different plants as well as any other plant you're looking for. So if you're ever curious and you, re you actually care and want to know uh, whether a plant you're considering is introduced or if it is um, uh, native to your area, um, you can check out plants.usda.gov and type in the plant that you're searching for. And it'll show you a map uh, of the United States and of uh, North America and show you whether or not something is uh, native or introduced based on uh, the USDA's definition. Um, so something cool to check out. And uh, a lot of these plants I mentioned, uh, if, if that specific species is not native or does not grow well in your area, um, a lot of these plants are 
related to they're very common plants, and that was deliberate on my part because you might have a very similar species of the same genus. So here's a quick Latin lesson for you guys. The, the, the scientific name is always two words. The first is the genus. The second is the species. So the species is more specific. And um, so the, the genus is a more broad term of, of various different species that are closely related. So like the eastern redbud, that's native to the eastern United States. Well, the whatever the, I can't remember the name of the western redbud. It might just be western redbud. Um, it might be California redbud. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, that's the same genus, different species, okay? And so it's closely related. You can check out to see if there's a closely related species to one of the ones I talked about today and see if it has similar um, characteristics that you might be able to use in your landscape if you live in a different area. So I don't mean to be exclusive with this episode. I had to be, you know, somewhat restrictive on on how many things I talked about. And so um, I don't want you guys to feel left out if you're listening, you know, somewhere outside of the eastern United States where I talk, you know, most of this stuff applies to. Okay, guys, um, the last thing I want to talk about is I do have a low-maintenance plants list that lists um, a bunch of different low-maintenance plants that you can check out for your your space, not just trees. And so I have a link in the show notes to that. Um, So check out the show notes for the low-maintenance plants list that you can download and access and and take a look at before you go to the nursery and you're sitting there scratching your head wondering what the heck to get for your your landscape. Uh, Okay, guys, so for any of the links I talked about today, you can go to ely.how slash episode 29 and that'll take you to the show notes the 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 post for this episode and all the information there along with the show outline and so um go check it out if you're curious about any things i talk about today okay with that too if you have a question and you want to be featured on the show, or if you just want to get in touch with me and need a little bit of help, you can go on over to ely.how slash pod, P-O-D, and you can go there to ask a question. Right at the top of the page, it says, ask me a question. And you can click on that, get in touch with me, and I'll, I'll get back with you as quickly as I can to help you out. Okay, and of course, too, if you're just Uh, you need some help with your landscape, you're overwhelmed, or you need some, just some guidance a little bit, don't know where to get started, I offer consultation. So you can go to ely.how slash consulting. And there you can see the options to get in touch with me and to consult with me. And we can really work together to move your landscape forward into a landscape that's beautiful and healthy and saves you time. So you can do more of what you love. And with that, guys, thanks for tuning in and make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today.